pretty amazing promise that I could stand to be reminded of. Thank you guys for reminding me that the Lord hasn't let go of us. Lord, would you, uh, would you this morning remind us all, not just academically, but like in real life, in real time, Lord, remind us that, that we are safe in your hands. We invite you to uh, move in our hearts this morning to change us and to mold us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Dean and Kim and Ryan, would you join me? I would, um, we have a great story to tell you guys this morning. If you're visiting, uh, this is Dean and Kim LaRocca. Dude, my slides are not showing up on here. So, Joe, you might get a battlefield promotion. <laughs> Ryan, I told you I was going to hand you the mic. I was just kidding. <laughs> we, we thought he might just give us a mic drop and walk off. Um, it's been a long journey, hasn't it? Uh, yes, sir, it has. <laughs> why don't you tell, instead of me trying to tell your story, why don't you tell us what, what's going on and where you're going and what's happening and who this little guy is. Um, that's our son. Um, Dean and I have been married for 22 years last month and um, before we ever married, we always talked about adopting. I'm not a crier either. <laughs> um, so four kids, a few moves, multiple businesses, life happens. And um, you know, we were good with four. And um, four years ago, I believe Darren's first funeral yeah. was our middle son, Matthew. Um, he was 12 and a half and he had had a brain tumor. And so Matt's cool now. And um, the last four years, life has moved forward. Our oldest two have gone off to college and uh, this little guy's been home alone. And it's been very um, hard. So a few months after Matt passed away, I was putting him to bed one night and he said, Mom, this is verbatim what he said. He said, Mom, can we get one of those kids? You know, the kind that don't have their own mom or dad, can we get one? And I was like, what do you say? I said, buddy, <laughs> let's talk to Jesus, okay? Um, and our hearts were hurt. And I mean, we had a lot of healing, obviously, to walk through. So fast forward to last January, we sat down for lunch with Darren and Shannon and said, you know, this keeps coming up about adopting and someone who's a little older than me has an age coming up where the adoption cuts off. <laughs> Which is 29, isn't that weird? Yes. 29 plus another 21. Um, so he'll Sorry, be 50 Dean, I tried. In, yeah, he'll be 50 in September and China usually cuts off. Um, but anyway, so, and I remember I'll never forget, and I've not forgotten this for the last, what, 15 months. I said, first off, did they think we were healthy enough to do this emotionally? And secondly is, where's the fine line between stupid and faith? Because we did not have the money to do this, like, at all. And um, Darren looked at me and he said, you're not asking for a vacation, you're not asking for a new home or new car. You're asking to do what the Word of God asks us to do is to take care of the orphans and widows. So there started a journey and somewhere, 
um, I've kept track, but somewhere between thirty-five and forty thousand dollars later, um, Ryan and I and our oldest two will be home Tuesday afternoon from college. Um, are leaving Wednesday morning for China to bring this little boy home. Tell us a little bit about him. Um, what you know, I mean, you. Yeah, what we know, he's a ham. Um, <laughs> He knows no English that we know of except a video of You Are My Sunshine that he sings. Um, China pretty much doesn't have a healthy child program any longer, even girls. To get a healthy little girl out of China, it's seven to ten years. Wow. And um, one sister is enough for him. And so. Well, amen, right? Yeah. <laughs> he uh, wanted somebody to play ball with and you know, kind of grow up with. But um, so anyways, the, China has a huge huge amount of orphan little boys in, in the orphanage and um, all over the country. And I mean, it's to the tune of tens of thousands of little boys. So all of the boys have, they obviously keep the healthy ones, the families do, um, but the ones that have anything from really, really minor, like a birthmark, <laughs> a soybean allergy, we've seen that, all the way to major, but they, they discard and it's, 13, they age out, 13 or 14, 14th birthday, they open the door and, you know, and there they go. So this little guy has very, very, very mild cerebral palsy, walks, runs, jumps, all of that, but um, is a mild limp, but otherwise, healthy little guy. Well, it's been an honor to get to walk this journey with you guys. Um, we've known you for, since you were like that big. <laughs> No, he was nothing. He was oh, it was, it was negative. It was You Matt. were like that big. Yeah. That was Matt. That was Matt that was that big. 16 years. Yep. Wow. Wait, that means we're old. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, you and I are. Kim is not, obviously. <laughs> but it's been an honor to get to walk this journey with you guys um, and to have known you and uh, to get to uh, say goodbye to, to Matt and hello to... It's just amazing, God's work. And I, I would, I, you guys are leaving this week. Have you ever been out of the country before? Um, Matt's Make-A-Wish trip. We went to Alaska by way of Vancouver. That counts. There's a passport. And there was... No, they didn't give us a stamp. My kids were so upset we didn't get a stamp. Well, you're going to um, get one now. Yeah, yeah definitely. And then... Welcome um, to China. Yeah, like a two-hour stop on a cruise in yeah. Mexico, so no. Yeah, so this is go big or go home time. Yes. And he was supposed to go, and some work things came up, and we were delayed several months, and so, yeah, it's me and two kids bringing home a third kid. Yeah. Yeah, but I can't imagine anybody. If you, do, if you guys know Kim, uh, if you've uh, wanted to meet a mama bear, she's going to be just fine. Um, I would love it if, uh, if you have played a part. In fact, why don't we stand down here so there's more room? Um, if you've played a part in this journey, if you're one of the elders or wives or part of our church, I would love to just surround them uh, in prayer this morning. Just feel free to come on down. And so many of us have played a part that $35,000 came from so many different sources and some of them are here. And, uh, but you've all been a part of this journey on some level. And uh, what we want you to see Dean and Kim, is that you are surrounded not only by a great cloud of witnesses, as Hebrews tells us, which I believe Matt is part of, but us. <laughs> I don't know if it takes a village to raise it. I don't, you know, whatever. But a church surrounded, a body of believers surrounded together. 
that's, I do believe that is an important part. And so we're here for you. And uh, Cortland, would you lead us in prayer? Father, that name rings a bell to all of our hearts. Hmm. And God, today, we are praying for Dean and Kim and the whole Araka family as, as they go to rescue a boy, your son. He's yours by way of adoption, and he will be theirs by way of adoption. But God, what you have written here is a story of love, a story of Dean and Kim reaching out in faith, taking those steps, each one planned and in your will. And God, we just lift up this little boy who will one day have a name, and his name will be Laraka. And God, what you have done here is you've knit together a family. God, this family has, has seen loss. Uh, they have raised two children all the way to college. And Ryan, who is at home and ready to love your son that you're bringing their way. And God, would you continue to make each step a step of faith? Would you continue to shower your blessing on this family? Would you continue to open doors for them? God, there's, there's things that have to happen as they go all the way across the other side of the world. And we need your... Um, we need your will to be done here in a way that is, uh, that is glorious. God, would you open the doors necessary for the Rakas to bring another member of their family home? And Father, would you, um, would you be with Kim as she travels? Kim has a, a detail issue. And uh, God, we, we need Healer Lord. all the details <laughs> to work out uh, for Kim. God, would you, um, would you let her know how much you love her as she sees all these details come together huh. and as she gets to open up her arms and hug this little boy? And Father, when they get back, would we all be there? each and every day as we move forward in life to love and shower this family with love as they walk in your will and your faith. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. The duck's in a row issue. Command those ducks to come out. Hey, Jim, would you join me real quick too? Um, if you're uh, new around here, Jim and Donna are our uh, student ministry uh, leaders. I was going to say victims because you guys just signed up to do a, they just signed up to do a, uh, a lock-in, but that's your fault. That's not mine because <laughs> I, I gave you a, an out on that. But uh, one of the things that, uh, that Jim has done and Donna, man, they've done such a great job of leading our teenagers. Um, and part of it I grew up in a more of an academic setting in a youth setting. And so a lot of times when the rubber meets the road, you end up out on your own. And we've been very practical here. And one of the things you guys did was 
invite our kids into this journey with, uh, tell us about Melvin there in the middle. Melvin in the middle. Well, as most of you know, I've been on kind of a bit of a health journey. Well, that's and, an um, understatement. That's an understatement, I guess. And so about a month ago, I was about a week removed from a wheelchair <laughs> and making my way around with a cane. And um, I'll be honest with you, I have no idea what Darren preached on, and I'm not even sure what Jeremy led in worship. But during that service, as I was sitting there, and the big bear in the middle, Rob Juilliard, was up here with Amanda. And Rob and I had gone back. Back in the day, we had kind of helped found the, uh, the kids' ministry and worked together. And um, as Rob began to speak and share that this coming year, in addition to what God had called them down there to do, he really felt like they wanted to invite into their lives one or two or three youth, however God led it, and just kind of empower these young men. Because in Guatemala, not unlike what Kim was just sharing in China, at a certain age, these kids become throwaways. And they don't have the opportunity for education like we have here and so on. And, and God just literally, for, for five or ten minutes, all the pain went away, and I was just acutely listening to what he had to say, he being our father. And as I began to pray about it, <clears throat> um, I approached some of our, our, you know, Donna, some of our youth leaders, Deidre, sitting here, and, and I just said, I think God's got a bigger plan. And, um, and so I presented it to the youth on a Wednesday night. What if we came alongside the Juilliards? There were in the room that night 40 kids and adults. I said, what if we could find a way to a dollar a person per month. It's not a lot. It's, not, it's nowhere near a Starbucks. Maybe it gets you the sugar in the Starbucks. <laughs> not even. Um, but could we do $40 a month? And I didn't even know what that meant. I knew $40 would go a long way in Guatemala, but I didn't really know how far it would go. And so when it was 100% unanimous across the board, leaders, students, everyone, and that night, I'm, I'm blessed that I work with the high school guys, so they tend to carry cash around right away. And, um, you know, the middle schooler's got to go home and ask. But, uh, you know, somewhere in the range of $12, $13 dropped in the bucket right away um, towards doing this. And, and so what I did is I, I emailed Rob and I said, we want to come along board and, and, and help you guys. We don't even know what this looks like, but, you know, we're kind of committing $40 a month. And um, he felt so overwhelmed. He didn't just email back. He picked up the phone and called me at work. And I'm like, dude, this is costing you a bundle and you don't have a bundle to spend. You just made a bunch of cuts. And he goes, this is too big not to call. He said, last year, I met a young man, Melvin, who is, you know, standing right there beside Shannon. And Melvin was a, a young man. They'd begun speaking to his life. He's 25 now. And he basically, his heart just caught fire for what God wanted to do. And he decided that one of the things he wanted to do was go into missions. And he also wanted to go to seminary and study alongside, which is a big deal, some godly men for a year and just really glean some of the things from the Bible that... You know, he he's didn't have an opportunity to do. And so that December, he put his money where his mouth was. Um, when you have a business down there, you don't tend to get rid of it because it's kind of your only soul. You don't just go out like here and find a job overnight. I mean, we've, we've got a wealth here. Um, he sold both his bakeries to go on a missions trip to Honduras and reach people that he thought were less fortunate than he. And while he was gone, apparently his house was broken into, gutted, they even took his dog. Dude. Like you got it. That's, that's pretty low. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, they, they, they emptied him out. 
And as if that wasn't enough, when he returned, his fiance let him know, I'm happy for the decisions you've made for your life to follow God, but it's not for me. It's a country song, man. It is. And, and I said, Rob, how did he take it? And he said, he just looked at me and said, Job had it worse. I mean, that's, that's pretty hardcore for a new believer. And so he had basically worked a couple of months to find a job. And this is bringing the story full circle now. We voted on the Wednesday, if you will, in you. Thursday, I sent the email. Rob calls me on Friday morning, I think, is if I'm getting my timeline right, and says, Melvin's in tears because I, he basically lost his job. He has no income. The seminary is, is, is vanishing because it's going to, you know, he doesn't have the money coming in. He said, I get your email. The $40 a month is half of what seminary will cost per month to go. And Amanda and I are prepared to put the other $40 up to allow this young man for one year to go. And it's just pretty amazing. And, and the, the, the bow on the story is in the month of April, the youth, most of whom are still sleeping and will be here for second service. Some of you are sleeping in here already. Yeah. And some of them may still be sleeping through that because prom yeah. was last night in certain schools. Um, <laughs> is that the, in the month of April, $87 was donated by the youth in this church, which will alleviate any pressure from the Juilliards to have to give anything out of their already tight funds. So God is up to some good, and our, our students are becoming missionaries without even leaving the grounds of William. County, and I just wanted to yeah. share that. Thanks, Jim. Yeah. Uh, in case you're wondering, the sermon already started. Galatians chapter 4, and while you're going to Galatians 4, I wanted to give you a couple more updates. One is from last week. If you were here last week, and Pastor William, uh, oh man, boy, and if you missed that, I'm just, I'm sorry. Uh, and just so you know, when I ask William ahead of time, man, think about what is it the one thing that the Lord wants uh, that you need, that if you, it's not funded. And, and I thought, like I even, if I'm being honest, my lack, oh, me of little faith, I seeded him a little bit and said, what about like your own salary? You know, like that. Think about things that we could do that could help you personally. And, and the thing about what he said was when he talked about a truck, understand that that was not about him as much as it was about it's an ambulance, it's about food. He, he couldn't not think about others. And, and I'm happy to report that in that little morning, part of my lack of faith was to say, I didn't want to do that because I know how much these things cost. A truck there, uh, first of all, it's in a developing nation. So they, you know, like Greenberg's, you know, like they jack you big time. Um, and he also, in a place like where he's at, we could get a used one for a little less, and then when the transmission goes, not if, but when, and when the suspension goes out, because the roads are just awful. Um, we did it with Juilliards. We got a used vehicle down there, and then just three months later, you know, and $8,000 later in repairs, um, our $8,000 vehicle is now 16000 and so, you know, lesson learned. And he, the th at least there's a shop to take it to in Guatemala, and where he's at. So I, I'm all that to say, I'm going to tell you that after all it was said and done, we had $20,000 come in last week for Pastor William. I mean, seriously. Like, that's not with, like, we, we went around and met with small groups and handed out clipboards, um, and you guys made commitments. That was just the spirit moving on this uh, family, and I am blown away. And he kept saying, it's like I'm living a dream. I can't believe it. It's so passionate about it. And then meanwhile, in Nepal, our friends over there, Dan Ingalls, 
uh, wrote this message that things have been chaotic and traumatic in these early days and the situation is complicated as we move strategically to help the last wave of unreached villages and care for those whose lives are hanging in the balance. Still so many in need rescue lying in remote villages for six days. Tomorrow we're attempting to rescue two paralyzed teens. There's a lot of that going on right now. A lot of uh, crushed spinal cords because of uh, the, the earthquake damage and no medical treatment at all. Uh, who lie in the rubble of little Selena's village. Selena is part of their village, their guardian village, one of the orphans that lives in their village. Uh, her grandmother uh, led our advance team there, to, led our advance team there tonight. 90% of the homes are destroyed. 35 people living under a tarp. That's actually a typo. It's 350. Um, we, I mean, it's just, uh, contrary to CNN, there is more going on in the world than in Baltimore. And I don't mean to d discredit that, but to say that there's a lot going on by this time in the Haiti earthquake, Anderson had already set up a tent and was broadcasting live. It's just because we can't hear about it doesn't mean that it's not happening. And just because we don't know about it doesn't mean it's not important. So as, a, as an organization, Conduit Mission, we have, uh, we've already sent the first $10,000 to Dan and we're believing that God is going to bring more. We have, just so you know, we have a network of people and places around the country that partner with us on things. So I'm not asking you to donate to this morning. I'm just updating you on what's happening with it. Um, and... Uh, yeah, we've got teams headed that way of friends of ours. We were, you know, part of being a conduit is making connections. And one of our former elders, Russ Rankin, called me Friday night and said there's a team from Antioch Church in Waco of doctors and nurses. And did I know any place that they could plug in? And do I know any place? As it turns out, places with children with crushed spines and broken bones is a great place to plug in. And so that is your situation update from, uh, from Conduit Church. In conversations this week with, um, with a few of you guys, with, uh, with David Holderman, who's in Chattanooga this morning for his uh, son-in-law's or son's graduation, you know, one of the questions that he was asking me, and he says, I feel like it's important that we understand that what, how does this work? How does it that we can be sitting in these, these chairs in this uh, building where the carpet smells so terrible, and it doesn't yet, give it about a month, um, once summer sets in. Uh, and then we don't have any money for this. And he was asking, I thought, a very legitimate question. You know, how does, it, how does that work? And is the money any more holy that we give there than it is here? And legitimate questions for us. And what he's really asking is, what is a conduit church? What is a church that is not necessarily the name of our church, but a description of our church? What is a, a conduit church? And I think in, if, you've, if you don't, haven't figured this out, I think in word pictures a lot. I think in metaphor and simile. And, and the only thing I could really come up with to try to maybe explain it is, is as a ship. If, if, the, if the church is a ship and we are carrying people to places and things, and then what kind of a ship are we? Are we a carnival cruise line ship? And the danger I know of metaphor is that you actually think you might understand it fully and, and a metaphor also can then box it in. And so I don't want to make this the only metaphor of who we are, but to say that this is a metaphor that helps to give me a picture. And, and I, I'd say that as a conduit church, we are a boat, we're a ship, but we're not a carnival cruise line. We're, it's probably more accurate to say that we are a troop carrier. <laughs> and on a troop carrier, things are going on. There, it's a different purpose. It accomplishes the same thing, which is it floats and it carries people from one place to another. But in a troop carrier, we are, a, we are on a mission together. And as a conduit church, 
that mission has been to say to a little boy in China that you are more valuable than what the world has told you. The, the, the kingdom of darkness would say that you deserve to be on the streets by the time that you're 13 years old, but not the kingdom of God. See, in the kingdom of God in Eden, there was no hunger, there was no abandonment, there was no death. And in the future, in heaven, there will be no, he said, I'll wipe away the tears, it will be no more sorrow. And so what's happening in China, in Nepal, in Guatemala, is somebody is being told a whisper of Eden. It's a glimpse of glory that is to come. And a conduit church, that's what we're doing and the question becomes, and how do we do that? What is our system, so to speak? What is our strategy? What is our, how does it work? And it was really quite simple. We are someone, a group, a body of believers that discovers, develops, deploys, and delivers. We're discovering what are the gifts inside of you, inside of me. Romans 12 Verses 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, it tells us what those spiritual gifts are, administration and leadership and mercy, and, and there's seven of them, and they all come together and miraculously accomplish amazing things. Seven, the number of perfection. Seven, the number of completion. Six is the number of man, and in Revelation, it's six, six, six. With seven, it's only seven. Six, it's I keep trying this over and over again. I do it again every day, day after six, six, six. But with God, with seven, it's done. It's seven. And part of when we go and we rescue a child or when we send out missionaries, when we deploy and we deliver those gifts, what happens is the glimpse of glory, the whisper of Eden, but it's also the story of grace. There's a little boy named Jackson, and you've heard his story, if not it bears repeating Joanne, you've met little Jackson. He's, he's coming to America. He's being adopted by a family that is part of one of our homeschool cooperatives. Within a few months, he's going to be running up and down these halls. And the story of Jackson is the story of Jesus because in Jackson's world, he lived on the streets at three, four years old. He moves into a restoration house. And Ben Holton, who was our missionary at the time down there, Mike and Kathy are teaching your children today, but Ben's their son, and he kept saying, man, he was mad at me because Jackson keeps stealing all my stuff. I'm looking under the mat Jackson's mattress. He's not very good at it, but he's, and he would stuff food under there, and he would stuff iPhone headphones and things. And, but it was because Jackson, his situation has changed, but his mind had not changed. He was living in the house where his needs were met, but his mind was still on the streets. And part of our journey of transformation is the realization that grace says that our situation has changed. When, uh, when Dean and Kim bring their little boy home, part of his journey to transformation is going to be that he doesn't have to live like that anymore. He has a mom and a dad. It's no longer a system. It's a strategy. It's no longer legal. It's love. And a conduit church... We get to be a part of those stories of discovering what those gifts are inside of us, developing. I, I was really, I was just, it was so awesome to see Jim and Donna this morning talking about Melvin because that's a journey for all of us and saying, wow, this was not something that I told Jim to do. We didn't sit in a, sta a staff meeting and me say, Jim, figure it out. No, Jim just came to me and said, the spirit was leading and I hope you don't mind, but this is what happened. 
And now there's a guy named Melvin who's, whose life is going to be different. And I wanted to clarify uh, briefly this morning that for the troop carrier to develop, to de- deploy, to deliver, the troop carrier has to have places too. There's needs on the troop carrier. That's why the money is no more holy there than it is here because we have to put gas in the boat. Do you know what I'm saying? There has to be a place for the troops to develop and uh, discover in, to be delivered with. And so last week when I made the comment about our, our $10 chairs, I mean, I said it sort of tongue-in-cheek, but for some of you guys who have surgical issues and bad backs, that's actually not funny to you. And I get that. Now, for the record, there are some really comfortable ones sitting right up front here, so. <laughs> and when we bought those $10 chairs five years ago, they were being used an hour a week by about 100 people. Now they're being used pretty much every day by... 600 non-conduit people who are here during the week and with us and Wednesday, it's a thousand people a week are going through this building. And it's our privilege and it's our honor to get to do that to our community. It's a gift. This building, this property that we sit in by God's grace, debt-free, is God's gift to us. We are only stewards of it. But I look at these chairs and think, is, is William's truck more important than the chair's? I don't know the answer to that question. I just know that in the moment that the Spirit led, and that's what happened. The fact that this summer, about July, the family room is going to be on slow roast uh, because of the HVAC. When this building was built, the HVAC that was put in it was not made for us. (laughs) It was not made for capacity. In fact, it was residential in nature. And so last summer, we put new HVAC in this room. And so when you're complaining about it being too cold, you know, thank Jesus. We have the ability to make it too cold in here. Before, it wasn't. It was literally like a crock pot, and we were all just brewing. There's a playground out back that gets used every day of the week by children. It's a little sketch right now. A little bit of this going on when the swings are going, you know? You're like, oh, no. <laughs> and by the way, I'm not getting ready to take up an offering, so you don't have to run. I'm just, <laughs> just, just so you know, I probably should have made that clear right away. What I'm trying to show you is that in Galatians chapter 4, this story that Paul refers back to is one of Abraham trusting that God would figure it out. Believing for the miracle that God promised. And he uses it to teach us a story of grace versus legalism. In verse 21, he says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? Like, are you kidding me? Verse 21. For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. You might remember this story, that Abram had lived his whole life in faith. That God, actually we first meet Abram in Genesis chapter 12, 
when he was living in Ur of the Chaldees, which is actually modern-day Iraq. The book of Joshua says that he was worshiping the moon goddess, and, and God said, get out of that country, leave. Abraham, by the way, 75 years old. So if you are heading to retirement, understand that's man's idea, not God's. We need your wisdom. We need your experience. And here's Abraham at 75, and he says, get out of this country, and he did. And he told him to go to the land that I will show you, and he went to this land called Canaan, modern-day Israel. And you know what happened when he got there? A famine. And isn't that like just the way the world works sometimes, the way the enemy works in our lives? Go here and do that. God, you know, I, I feel like you've told me to go here. He, the place is now called Beth-El, which means house of God, beth El, El is God, Beth, the house of God. But man, God, why am I hungry? Why is it dry? What's going on here? And so what does Abram do? He fixes the problem himself. And he heads to Egypt. And while he's in Egypt, he realizes, man, my wife is smoking hot. He probably realized that before, but be that as it may. When he gets to Egypt, he realizes there might be some implications of having a smoking hot wife, which is that Pharaoh is going to want her and he's going to kill him. So what does Abram do? The age of chivalry died long ago. He said, just tell him you're my sister. Let him have you. Because when you start solving God's problems your way, you just start making crap up. <laughs> so he's saying, I'll do you take him. And that night, God, because he's so sovereign, because he's so good, he says, he actually visits Pharaoh's house with death and plague. And the next morning, Pharaoh says, look, I, I know exactly what's going on. He approaches Abram and he says, look, this is, I can't believe you did this to me. You said it was uh, your sister and it's your wife. And I can't, why would you do that? And you know what's interesting is that Abram now realizes that that was a huge mistake. And he goes back to where God last left him to go. But think with me. That night, that day, that week, Pharaoh gave him all kinds of gifts, all kinds of things in exchange for, he was basically buying Sarai from him. And among that were men servants and maid servants, which is germane to our story. Because now Abram goes back to Bethel, where God told him to go originally, but he brings with him the stuff that he drug in from the world. In his attempt to fix God's problems his way, he now has a maidservant named Hagar. And God would appear to him again and say to Abram, look, I wasn't kidding. I'm going to bring you this son. I'm going to give you this promise. And in Genesis 17, by now he has a son named Ishmael. Ishmael was a result of them trying to keep God's promise in their effort. Ishmael was them saying, did God say he was going to give us a son himself or that we would have a son? And if he were going to have a son, well, we can figure that out. So here's Hagar. Go have, you know, have your way and we'll make a baby that way. And Abram, being the dutiful husband that he was, <laughs> helped God again. Abram is learning lessons that we can learn from him. That the flesh, that legalism is us working to solve God's problems. Me saying, I'm going to take care of this one, God. I'm, it's not a tag team wrestling match with God. He's not tagging you in to solve his problems. 
But that day when Ishmael was born, world, the world changed. But man, you know what? Abram had a son. And 13 years later in Genesis 17, when God appeared again and said, look, while I appreciate your enthusiasm, I am going to make you a great nation. I am going to make you a family of many nations, but I am not going to do it your way. It's my way. And Abraham in Genesis 17, 8 said, oh, that Ishmael would be the one. Oh, that my way would be the way. And God would say, no, 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 no. I'm going to do it the way that I promised you I would. The bloodline of Christ would be secure through Sarah. And if you've been around a while, you know that what happened that day when Ishmael was born was that the world changed. That to this day in the Middle East, we have the problem between Ishmael and Isaac. Implications that are far reaching. (laughs) But for the purposes of us, for the purposes of of our gathering this morning and what I feel like the Lord was saying through conduit these past four years. There's more in this and yeah, we're gonna be camping here for a little bit. But the word that I feel like that God had for conduit is a word for all of us and that was that trust me. You see, when we were starting as a church five years ago, I didn't know come here from Sikkim. I didn't know how to do a church. And so I went and tried to learn how to do a church. Spent a week in a church planning boot camp that I'll never get back. And they gave us all kinds of systems of how to do this. At this time, a year out, you have to raise $150,000 and then you have to do these systems. And, and I, I don't mean any disrespect towards that. I, I know it sounds like I do, but I don't. But it didn't fit who we were. And meanwhile, the earthquake in Haiti happened that I found myself raising a quarter of a million dollars, but not for us, but for our people in Haiti. And I felt like that the Lord spoke to us in those early days and said, if you take care of that, I'll take care of you. What he was really saying was, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all those things will be added unto you. Three weeks before we were supposed to move into the high school, or to any school, and I think back on it, I should have been more scared than I was because we were getting ready to start a church and we didn't know where we were meeting. God knows we couldn't send out a postcard. Where would we send them? (laughs) And that, I guess it was February or maybe March, so we're basically helping us get planes to, uh, to Haiti. He was giving us airtime and we were, a lot of the money was being raised was by Jay and Pam. And that night he said, Hey, so where are we going to be meeting? You know, and I'm like, uh, I don't know. Like, I, you know, I you know, I think what my exact words, I think I would love to meet in Independence High School, but they don't let churches in there. So we'll probably end up meeting in, uh, Columbia at Spring Hill High School. And he said, Whoa, 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 back up. What did you say? And it was the first moment, I swear to you, that it occurred to me that Jay was the guy that won the Supreme Court case that allows churches to meet in schools. And so my paraphrased response was, oh, no, 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 I don't want to sue anybody. Like, I don't want to get on the news. Like, that's not what I want to do at all. And he's like, no, 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 we won't do that at all. And so he basically sends a letter, and we moved into Independence High School three or four weeks later. It was amazing. We were like, oh, that's how that works. God just moves when we are seeking first his kingdom. It wasn't long after that that we were, we wanted pipe and drape walls because we were meeting in a cafeteria. We had nothing. If you remember those early days, 
That trailer, it was, I mean, I literally, we had to have workman's comp for the trailer because everybody kept hitting their head on it. It was so little and embarrassing. And, but God was moving in that day. We were talking in a staff meeting about we wanted pipe and drape walls because just to give some sort of a thing. And we were looking online and the cheapest we could find was $1,500. And we thought, man, I just don't know. Can we do that? Do we, you know, what if God wants us to, you know, there's, there's this clinic being built in Haiti and Africa. What do we do? And so we just decided, well, $1,500, let's just, let's just not do anything. That afternoon, my friend John Breland from South Coast Church in Mobile, Alabama, gave us his pipe and drape walls. It was $8,000 worth of them, more than we ever needed. Unbelievable. <laughs> we were like, what? We sit in a building today because we gave all our money away to build buildings for other churches around the world, and God, at the la- just, just in time, moved on Miss Bobby's heart and Jim Gosney's heart and we become a part of this family and we move in here completely debt-free. And I tell these stories not to brag, I swear I'm not, because I, I, I can't take any, any credit for what God has done. What I'm telling the story is to remind us all, as a church, I am believing that God will give us chairs. Just because we didn't buy them this month doesn't mean we're not supposed to have them. But what I'm saying is I'm trusting that God is going to provide it. I'm trusting that he'll figure out the air conditioning. He's figured out everything else. And our job is to seek him and to seek his kingdom and to not go running off making Ishmael's on our own. And for you personally this morning, I believe that God has put a dream in all of our hearts. In all of of our lives and it might feel like it's been a while I would like to admonish and encourage you this morning don't make it happen allow the Lord Psalm 75 6 says that promotion comes from the east and the west or does not come does not come from the east and the west but it comes from the Lord It was a few years ago that I felt like God was moving in our hearts and we were doing a a benefit fundraiser for Haiti and we had a special musical guest in there playing, doing a sound check and and I had just received a job offer to go and travel and speak for a nonprofit organization. I was really excited about it. It had like a dental plan and I could go and and speak and and these music artists were making me tired. <laughs> I, was, I mean, this gray hair, I have, a, I have a, a, a musician from a band named after each one of them. And I'd always known that music was a young man's game. If you saw the article I posted on Facebook this week, it's actually scientific. Like at 33, you just stop listening to music. You stop getting it. I start listening to things that I think is cool. And if you're a teenager, you're thinking, oh man, dad, what? I knew that it was time at some point that the Lord was going to move us into some kind of ministry, and I thought that was it. And so that night, I was supposed to let them know on Monday, and I remember thinking, why do I feel sick to my stomach? This guy gave me, uh, has given me the dream job. I can write books, be thoughtful, smoke a pipe, and go speak. Like, that's awesome. And, and raise money and support for children who are in need. It was like, I thought it was my sweet spot. Why do I feel sick to my stomach? And that day, the phone rang, and it was a friend of mine named Diana Covey. So we're down at Rocket Town. There's music in the background. I can't even hardly hear her, and I'm not even sure why I answered because I was like, that was real risky to pick up an unrecognized number. And she said, Darren, and Diana led me to the Lord when I was in third grade. 
her and her husband moved to Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota and have pastored churches up there for 25 years before retiring. But she said, Darren, I just want you to know that I can't sleep because God is, wants me to tell you something. I hadn't talked to Diana in three or four years at that point. She said, I just want you to know that you've been asking, is there more for you in ministry? And the answer is yes, but don't kick the door down. And what I realized in that moment was kicking the door down into some place was kicking the door down out of somewhere else. I had a company. I had employees. I had clients. It wasn't like I could just put in a two-week notice and be done. I needed to be extricated from this. It needed to be God. And that Monday morning, I called and said, I'm so flattered and I'm so honored, but I can't take this job. And it was a year more after that, a year more of the divine discontent when the idea was born for this little Bible study had already been going through years, but the realization that, oh, the reason we've had a hard time defining it is because it's a church, and the only thing we were defining us by was what we're not. We're not a church. We just act like one. That was our tagline. And miraculously, it was this series of miraculous divine interventions that the Lord moved in our lives. And to you this morning, I say that I believe that he's working and he's moving even if you can't see it. As our worshipers are coming back, I would love to invite you this morning to re-engage with the Lord. To say that, yeah, you know what? It's pretty dry here. Pretty, there's like famine going on in my heart. Is it possible I'm where God wants me to be? Yeah, very possible. Because you're learning to trust. And I want to give you a, a note of encouragement as well and to say that you feel like I have messed this up and I have botched this. Just like Abram, yeah, he made some mistakes, but the Lord was still sovereign. That ship that he was on was still moving in the direction. God protected Sarah. God protected Abram. He protected his dream. He'll protect the dream in you. So what do you do? What do I do? We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all those other things are added unto us. Don't force it to happen. Legalism, the flesh is me keeping the promise that God intended to keep. It's me saying, I got, a, I got an idea, God. And God would say, hey, that was nice, that was cute. But I'm going to do it my way. And I got to tell you, at 44 years old, it's a great way to live. Don't ever mistake my lack of concern for our building or what's happening as ambivalence. It's not that. It's just that I've seen God move over and over and over again. And if we give the opportunity to give to people like William and to give to people in Nepal and to give to Dean and Kim LaRocca, I just believe he's going to take care of us. I don't know how. I'd love to tell you. But I know it'll be grand and I know it'll blow our minds and we'll have to say it was God that did it. And in your own lives, I believe that to be true as well. I believe it to be true. It was Soren Kierkegaard that said that life can only be understood in hindsight, but it must be lived forward. Someday you'll get it. Someday you'll look back. Oh, but for now, let's step into faith. The faith of Abraham, the faith of Isaac, the faith of Jacob, the faith of Zechariah, the faith of Mary, 
the faith of you. Not faith in me, but faith in him. Father, would you give us wisdom this morning of what it means to send away legalism in the flesh and to embrace the spirit and to embrace your promise. That we began in faith, we will continue in faith. We don't want to go back under the law, back under us making stuff happen. Give us wisdom this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.